0: afternoon, everyone. Thank you, Brent, for your prayer. That was great. My name is Dan Clark. I have the privilege of bringing today's message to you. I've been attending Northern Collective for a few months now with my wife, Heather, right there, wave, and our daughter, daughter, Avienda, who's upstairs right now. Some of you have known us for quite some time now. Some of you we've met more recently since we started attending this church, and for those of you who don't know who we are, we would be happy to change that sometime. A little about myself. I have been working with the Yukon government for almost nine years now. I was a student in various post-secondary education facilities for nine years, ranging from Bible school programs to science programs and a smattering of other random classes throughout that. I'm also happy to be starting up the Yukon Bible College this fall, and I'm looking forward to that a lot. I have been a Christian since I was five years old, so 31 years now. And if there's one thing I have learned about my son, my time that, that, about myself in that time, it is this: I may be a Christian, but I am not perfect shocking, I know. While God has been faithful at helping me to grow as a disciple of Christ, I still make mistakes on a daily basis. I do things wrong, I make bad decisions, and I hurt those around me that I care about. That is the sin that is still within my life. We are all like that. There's not a single follower of Christ who can truthfully say otherwise. Despite having been saved and made a part of God's family, we still sin. For this, today, for this reason, I want to talk to you today about repentance, about Christ-centered repentance, and show you what I learned from studying the passage that we are going to look to look at today. So please turn with me to the book of Matthew. We started in it last week, and we're going to be looking at chapter 3 today. We're looking at verses 1 to 13. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to rise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. So John the Baptist, this is a really interesting story here. About nine months before John was born, his father was chosen to be the priest to enter the innermost sanctum of the temple to offer incense to God. This was quite an honor as this did not happen very regularly throughout the year. And while he was in there, a An angel of the Lord, later known as Gabriel, appeared to him with the news that he would have a son in his old age. And he was told to name the child John. Zacharias expressed doubt and was made unable to speak until the day the child was born. Nine months or longer without speaking. Nine months or so later, he had a son And named him John as the angel told him to. This would have been a very memorable story. One that would have stuck in the minds of those involved for many years afterwards. If not for the rest of their lives. We see that here in our passage that John, now an adult, is preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And we see in verse 5 that people are coming from as far away as Jerusalem to come hear him speak. Now on that day, Jerusalem was a full day's travel from the wilderness of Judea, about 35 kilometers as the crow flies. It would have been about double that distance for them to walk, maybe a little bit less, as their roads were generally very windy as they went around valleys and hills. See, nowadays when we make a road, we can just dynamite our way through anything that comes in our way, like small mountains, or fill in little valleys or marshes. But for the most part, they couldn't do that, or at all. And the only way they have for transportation, unless they were quite wealthy, was to walk. For reference sake, let's imagine walking all the way to Mount Lorne to hear one of Harrison's messages. On Friday, my wife, family and I, we drove out to Carcross and I made sure to know just how far away it was. And it's actually quite a ways out there. That would be quite a long walk just to hear a message. And for those of you who have been sheep hunting, you know how taxing a journey that can be. They're not just walking with just them. They've got supplies for the road and for their family. So they're carrying quite a bit with them as well. It's a difficult journey. So why? Why would these people, including some of the very important religious leaders of their time, walk all this way just to hear what he was saying? Would you make that kind of journey? I believe it was for two reasons. First reason, the story of his birth would have been remembered. A story like that would have been in their minds for a lifetime. Not only was it a miracle, but it would have tied very closely to the story of their ultimate ancestor, Abraham. The man whom God turned into the beginning of their nation, of Israel. It's all right. (laughs) See, Abraham also had a child in his late age. I think he was in his 90s. And there was also doubt expressed of that. That is a story they would have all known very well. And one that they would have tied to the story surrounding John's birth. And second, John would have at the very least appeared to have been a prophet of God. Look at how he was dressed. A coarse hair garment with a leather belt. That would not have been comfortable. But this was the clothing of the prophets of the Old Testament. This is what they all wore. And add that to the fact that he claimed the message he was now speaking came from God. And you would have a near perfect image of one of their prophets of old. Especially Elijah, whom they were expecting to see as the person who would announce the Messiah. Their long awaited savior. Savior. It is very important to note at this point that God hadn't sent any new prophets to Israel for 450 years. That's 16 generations with no new messages from God. Now all of a sudden, they have a new prophet. Someone whose birth had such a story behind it. I can only imagine the hope that was beginning to rise up, especially in the religious leaders trying to understand what that would be like, compare it to if we had COVID-19 for 450 years. Sixteen generations of restrictions, social distancing, and masks. And then all of a sudden, we hear that's coming to an end. Imagine what we would feel. I know I would feel hope. We felt relief when the government told us that they were looking at lifting restrictions after less than a year. Only one year of waiting for something that we desperately wanted. Can we even imagine 450 years of that? What do you think you would be feeling? Is that something we can even imagine? So now we have this prophet After all this time, and what is his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, kingdom of heaven is a euphemism or a replacement phrase for the kingdom of God. You see, in those times, the Jews revered the name of God so much that they felt uncomfortable saying it, so they would replace it with other words. And at hand means present, but not yet fully realized or fulfilled. So what we have here is John calling for people to repent, saying that the kingdom of God has arrived, but not yet fully realized or fulfilled. This is the message that would have exploded in their minds. For both John the Baptist, sorry, is the same message that Jesus later begins his ministry with in Matthew 4, verse 17. And for both John the Baptist and Jesus to begin their ministries with the exact same message, that has got to be important. But what does it mean? And what does it mean for us? In the Old Testament, the idea of repentance meant not so much a turning away from a less desirable course, but more towards turning towards a positive course to exert strength and effort into changing that course. It was more referred to the interactions between people in improving and maintaining relationships between them. Just to give an example, a while back my neighbor mentioned to me that where I placed my compost can. On the road for compost day would normally lead to bits and pieces of its content flying into his yard. Once I was informed of that, I felt guilty about the effect that was having on him, and the fact that he had to clean that up every couple weeks. And so I put effort into finding a different spot. Now that wasn't a whole lot of effort; just had to move it up the road a little bit. But I did that to restore the relationship. That is Old Testament repentance. In the New Testament, it became about the relationship between God and us. My strongest concordance is like a big Bible dictionary of all the words used in the Bible in their original languages is a massive book like that like half a foot thick almost. But it defines repentance this way no mere academic change of mind. Not simply regret or remorse, but a radical turning from sin that inevitably becomes manifest in the fruits of righteousness. Repentance is turning away from sin, but not just that. Because repentance, like we are describing here, involves something else as well. Many of us may have heard about the idea of repentance being a 180 degree turn. The idea behind this is that sin and God are polar opposites. They're opposite directions. But if repentance is just turning away from sin, there are 358 other directions you can turn that doesn't lead to God. And that's where this other aspect comes into play. Let's face it, we see a worldly type of repentance all the time. People turn from one thing that the Bible calls sin only to turn to another type of sin. Or they turn to something that is good like helping others to break the chains formed by that sin. When thinking about that, I I thought of Alcoholics Anonymous and they're a perfect example of this kind of repentance. The realization that you need to break the addiction because of the damage it is doing to yourself and to others. And the final step is to help others come to this place as well. Now please don't get me wrong, I absolutely love the work that is being done by AA, and it is absolutely vital work in our society. And I find it very inspiring. But repentance means nothing for eternity unless it's accompanied by its other half, the other side of its coin, so to speak. You see, if repentance is turning away from sin, turning to God, is faith. Because it takes faith to believe that not only is what God says about sin and our state of being true, but that he has also provided a way to change that. It takes faith to believe that and take action. This change called repentance is so extreme, so radical, that it can't help but produce effects within you. Let me give an example. For some time now, I've been thinking about making healthier choices when it comes to exercise and what I eat. Now, as my wife can tell you, that involves a lot more thinking than actual action. But if I actually went ahead with that decision and took action, started eating healthy and exercising, that would produce some sort of effect, wouldn't it? I would lose some weight, my muscles would get stronger, and I would be able to run without feeling like my lungs were going to plop onto the sidewalk. Such an extreme change cannot help but produce results. And that is what John is referring to in verse 8. When he says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What is this fruit? Does that mean telling your spouse, I'm sorry, honey, have an apple? Obviously not. Fruit means the effects of an action. If you properly take care of a fruit tree, it'll produce good fruit for you. And you see, when it comes to having a renewed relationship with God, there is only one kind of fruit that we can be talking about. I want to jump quickly over to the book of Galatians for this. The book of, this book is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church that had been formed in the Roman province of Galatia in what is now modern Turkey. In chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, Paul writes this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. True repentance, which is coupled with placing our faith in God, results in the forgiveness of our sins and restoration of our relationship with God. With a change like this, we cannot help but be affected by it. And the fruit of the spirit will begin to be evident in our lives. I'm not saying you'll be perfect or that there will be instant and dramatic change. That's a whole other discussion for another time. But this change will slowly start to show in your life, in your decisions, your relationships, and it will grow over time as you move forward in your relationship with God. Just as a few examples for our decisions, it could be stuff like deciding not to fudge the numbers on our tax returns. or Making sure we aren't showing up late to work or leaving early. Working the way we're expected to. Returning to the store to pay for something you forgot that they forgot to charge you for, or driving the speed limit. And for our relationships, it could mean deleting that text before you hit send, swallowing your pride, and apologizing when the other person has hurt you too. Or helping out when you get home from work, even though you're tired, or not insulting your spouse or friend behind their back. There are an endless amount of possibilities Let's think about that for a second. What are some areas that this might affect you? If you have have experienced Christ-centered repentance, what has resulted from it? Where did God start to work in your life? If you haven't experienced it what comes to mind is an area of your life that God would start to work in I fully believe that if we experience this kind of repentance it would have a powerful effect not only in our own lives but also in the lives of those around us However none of this would have been possible if it wasn't for the second part of John's message. For the kingdom of God is at hand. We touched on this earlier and what it would have meant for the audience around him and why the esteemed and important religious leaders were willing to walk all that distance to hear what he was saying. To them, the kingdom of God meant the Messiah, the Savior for which they had been yearning for such a long, long, the Messiah promised by God throughout the Old Testament right from the fall of man when sin entered the world right through to the last book of the Old Testament Malachi because none of this was any surprise to God he knew from He knew the world would fall and sin would enter the picture long before he brought all of creation into existence. Not only did he know about it, but he also had a plan. He knew all that time before that the only way to change it, to save the people he loved so much, was to pay for their sin himself. And so this Messiah, Jesus Christ, entered the world as a baby, grew up, completed his ministry on earth, and then gave his life using the most excruciating form of execution the world has ever designed. And more than that, the wrath of God that we deserved was poured out on him. Not just a sprinkling, not just a brief encounter, all of it every single bit of god's wrath that we have built up with our own actions that we fully deserve. he took it all all to pay the price for our sin you see our sin brought the penalty of death that being the lake of fire described in the Bible and as much as people like to say God is love he is also just just as love finds its perfection in God so does justice and he cannot he will not allow sin to go unpunished but The kingdom of God is no longer just at hand, but it has come. Jesus Christ has come, and through his sacrifice, his death on the cross, he has opened up the way for us to come to God. The trail to God has been opened up, but we have to walk it if it is to do us any good. I feel blessed to be one of those that God has called to this path to salvation. If you are a follower of Christ and have experienced his salvation, excellent. Now go put that into practice and experience the Christ-centered repentance that we have learned about today. If you're hearing this and you realize that you are not yet on this path, that you haven't experienced the salvation provided by Jesus Christ. Please. Come talk to me. Or to one of the elders. Brent over there. And Tony. We also have Tony and Andrew and Harrison. We would love to be a part of what God wants to do in your life. And I hope that we can all join in the salvation provided by Jesus Christ. Walk the, to walk the path that He provided, together.